Coming up on this episode of Whiskey Wednesday. Because I thought that all I brought to this world was death and destruction, and I was good at those things and not much else. And the truth is that I'm, I'm good at so much other stuff that that was such a small time in my life. I'm so like, man, I never thought I would be a business owner, let alone multiple businesses, and they're successful. Um, they're successful because of the values that we have, you know, in our workplace and the environment that we create. So when you come in there, you know that um, it's a special place, whether it's Kinetic Inc. or Kinetic Threads or Warfighter Overwatch. All the things we do are community-based because the stronger our community is, the stronger our families are, the stronger our individuals are. And that makes uh, things better for, for everyone, for the next generation. Hey, Danny, thank you so much for being here with us on Whiskey Wednesdays. I'm really, dude, I'm really excited about this episode. So before we get started, man, let me get you a glass. Drinking a local from here. We're drinking the Engine 49 bourbon. Just from Dry Diggins down the hill in Alvarado Hills. Figured I'd start us off with a bit of a heavy hitter, man. Cheers to you, man. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah, just so you know, 120 proof, no big deal. So... Dude, I know a little bit about you, Danny. I read a lot about your company, your nonprofit, Warfighter. Um, can you give us a little bit of your background and then go into kind of what, what you've been doing since? So I was born and raised right here in Northern California. Uh, I was born in Stockton. I graduated high school at Grant here in Sacramento. Uh, my dad's a Vietnam vet and my mom was a drug addict. So my early childhood was pretty chaotic. Um, they split up when I was pretty young. And, you know, we all lived with my mom. It was the 80s and they didn't give custody to the dads, uh, despite the fact that she was all messed up. So everyone that she brought into our lives was was not really a, a good person for the most part. Um, I, my dad did eventually get custody of me and my little sister. So I went back to Stockton, which was not a great place either. Really? Um, <laughs> heaven on earth in California. Almost, almost. Um, there's few places that are heaven on earth in California and they're usually away from everyone else. Uh, so we don't tell people. Like when people come out to visit me, my friends, especially from the military, I tell them like, all right, we're going to go to the Bay Area. You can tell anyone back home about all this, about the feces in the streets or about the drug addicts or the homeless. You can tell them the traffic sucks, the people are me, whatever you want. Uh, but when we go out to the hills and we go out towards like Yosemite, so you don't tell anyone about that. That's our it's secret. Quiet. That's right. You know, Everybody thinks we're surfers around the beach living in LA, <laughs> man. That's right. Let's keep it at that. No, th that's right. You just tell, go ahead and let them believe that and uh, we'll keep the rest of us. So um, I think because of what my mom had showed me uh, when I was a kid, I really was drawn to my daddy. He's a military veteran. He was he went to the police academy at Delta in Stockton and became a police officer there for a while, but he really wasn't cut out for that. I think he had some uh, lingering issues from Vietnam, uh, but I graduated high school in 2000 and on September 11, 2001, I quit my job and joined the army and it kind of led me down a completely different path than I initially planned or, or thought I would, um, you know, kind of for my life or what it would be like. So. I ended up becoming what's called a fister, which is pretty cool because you can tell people I'm a fister. <laughs> uh, but it stands for fire support team. You know, everything's an acronym. Yeah, that's what it stands for. Believe <laughs> <laughs> uh, that. Yeah. Well, the mo one of the mottos is elbows deep, which is definitely a fun one. Goes right along with it. It does. The the so it's essentially it's like do a math quiz in the middle of a gunfight and call for bombs, artillery, mortars, air support. Yeah. It's it's a little intense. 
but it was definitely something that I think was perfect for me, especially at the time. I was 19 when I signed up for the Army. I really didn't have any idea of what I was getting into, but I knew that, you know, at least I felt that I could make an impact and, and it was the right thing to do. Our country, you know, they needed folks to go fight. So I spent seven years in the Army, uh, just under. I got hurt in Iraq on my second trip. So I did, I signed up for the Army at 9-11. I did not go to Afghanistan. I went to Iraq twice because that's the way the Army really works. And it was, I mean, it was, it was great. The majority of my time in the military was awesome. I, I got the full adventure ticket. I got to jump out of planes. I got to repel from helicopters. I got to blow stuff up. But my it, ticket. Yeah. Well, it was a lot of impulsive choices after another, uh, and not really thinking necessarily about the future. Just that sounds fun. That sounds uh, exciting. I'm going to do that. And then part of it was, I really wanted to be like, a soldier, a real soldier, someone who was gonna, you know, do all this cool stuff. What I didn't realize was the price of that comes, you know, it's much greater than you can anticipate. So you know, my very first squad leader in the army, his name's Jared Monty. Jared got the Medal of Honor. His parents got it, he got killed saving everyone's life. And there's a song called I Drive Your Truck by Lee Bryce. Um, and that's about how Jared's dad, Paul, dealt with his death. He said, I don't, he did an NPR interview and he said, I don't fill him at that gravesite. It's cold there, but he's got this old gas guzzling Dodge truck. And I, I drive it like a jerk, like he would have when he was 16. I spin donuts, I burn rubber and ask God why he took my son. Dude, as you talk about that song, I can hear it playing in my head right now. It is. So now my kids, they tell their friends what that song was really about. It's not just some song that plays on the radio. You know, there's a story behind it and someone's name. We're, we believe, not just me, my family, like the people I surround myself with, we believe uh, that the people who gave their lives for our country, our community, we, we say their names, we tell their stories. It's, there's nothing more important uh, for me. And we'll get into some of that. But, you know, on my second trip, I lost nine guys um, that were killed in action and we've had 15 suicides since I've come home. It's been very heavy to say the least. So when I say my kids know that there's a story behind it, a name, you know, it's, it's important for us to, to tell those stories. Cause you know, I tell people I went to war for my country. So these are my experiences, but they're America's stories. And if we don't tell them, no one will ever know what happened. And I'm, I'm grateful. I, I truly am grateful that I, I, I suppose I'm chosen or I'm picked, uh, held responsible for telling their stories because really instead of just sitting at home and taking prescription pills like the VA would like and watching Jerry Springer, I get up and do stuff. And part of that is living a life worthy of, of their sacrifice, of their legacy. And it's important for me to to do that, you know, in their honor. So I'm grateful I get to do it. That's awesome. Yeah. Because I know you said you go overseas and you wanted to fight this war, fight it for your country. And then I mean, I, I never went overseas, but I know these guys come back fighting just a totally different battle. Yeah. Inside. Yeah. That's hard. the transition from being a military, like a service member, you know what your role is on that team. Mm -hmm. You know that they need you to do a job. When you come home, first off, you don't have a team anymore. Your job is up in the air. You're not sure what you're going to do. And if you do have a plan and a job, that's good. Half the time, it's, Uncle Joe owns a roofing company. I'm going to go work for him. Yeah. But the the planning portion is usually not always there for people who don't spend an entire career in the military. So when they transition to civilian side, not only do they not have a plan, the financial problems come. That creates marital issues. 
And then you have, you know, the bad coping skills. So yeah. people start drinking or doing drugs or whatever else. And, you know, we don't give them purpose when they leave the military. They have to find it on their own. And that is extremely difficult. It, yeah. And especially guys, I mean, you said you, you had seven years, you came out injured. Yeah. So there are guys leaving before they expect to leave. And then it's like, yeah. it's not, you mean you have this mental timeline in your head of like, this is what I'm going to get out. This is like the, the plan I have. Yeah. All of a sudden it's disrupted. There's an injury. And now it's, I'm, I'm not only dealing with him. I have no job now. I'm out of the military. No. Yeah. Now I have an injury I wasn't expecting. And now I have to get a job. And I have to try to hide this from the new job. Right. Cause yeah. so when, when I was, when they told me that I wasn't going to be good for another trip, I thought they they were stealing from me. They were stealing my future. This was everything I had worked for. And I loved being a soldier. I loved being a leader, you know, getting promoted and, and becoming a squad leader. There was nothing like that. I'm going to train these guys so that they can go to war and be successful in any environment. And then I'm going to take them to war and show them that everything they learned was worthwhile and what they're doing should fill them with pride. Uh, and it didn't feel like that, right? So you get there, it doesn't take very long for you to figure out that this is for keeps. They're gonna kill you if you, you know, if, if you're not protecting yourself, if you're not behind some sort of cover, if you're, you know, when you, I didn't do paperwork. I, you know, I got in gunfights and I called for bombs. So I meant my guys got hurt, I got hurt, and you kind of gotta figure out what we're gonna do in the aftermath uh, when we come home. And even part of that is, helping guide these guys because the army didn't teach me how to bring them home for what they taught me how to take them and they didn't tell me how to bring them home yeah. and that was hard Jeez. yeah man i i want this is like a little bit off of where i was gonna like ask you some questions about i wish you could feel free to ask me questions but yeah while i'm thinking of it before i forget i want to get you in touch with this guy christian we had on the show all right uh, because he does a nonprofit out of the sacramento area where they actually help disabled vets get jobs Perfect. So help them with like resumes. We, yeah. At least like me, as we talked to, I'm sure they could help with resumes and, yep. and place you into, into roles to show, you know, the skill set that you yep. had in the military. Yeah. Uh, how it, you can just reword the language to, so it's not so militaristic sounding. Yeah. And how it fits into the civilian world. And yeah, they've landed some awesome jobs. And I think it would be a pretty awesome connection for Warfighter Overwatch to have. I, I would love that for a number of reasons. First off, so part of that hardship when you transition is when you go get a job, they want to start you at the bottom, right? Yeah. Not with all these skills and leadership and values and things that you bring to the table as an asset. Because we know, like, you don't want to be a liability. You want to be an asset. You want to you want to be the teammate that you wish you had, you know? And so when we, when we have these guys who transition, if they don't have uh, something worthwhile, if their best option is to go work at, you know, McDonald's or Walmart, they're not going to feel very successful or fulfilled. But when first off, we connect them with other people who have, uh, you know, been through that transition or, you know, been in the military and hook them up so that they can look forward to have, you know, uh, some hope to look forward to for a brighter future career, not just some job that, you know, they're going to lose in six months or a year. That's, that's huge. Uh, you know, and as a, so I own a couple businesses, which, you know, we'll get into, but I love being able to find good people, especially when we, like I said, these, we know these guys come with these values and, uh, this mentality where they have discipline. So, you know, they show up 15 minutes early, they, yeah. you know, all those things they are important. It, it's crazy 
that sometimes it's not taken into account when you have yeah. these guys where it's like you drive discipline into them. But not only only that, they have the skill of, of problem solving mm-hmm. under some of the harshest conditions because you're out there from, you know, basic training, boot yeah. camp, all the way through schools and then into whatever career you land in the military yeah. to deployments, wherever you go from there, it's like you could be faced with a hardship on a deployment, a hardship like stateside, wherever you land. And it's like, hey, here's the problem. You have to fix it. Think outside the box. Yeah. And they've been in, indoctrinating that to you from the beginning. And then you come out with these skills and they're like, I don't know how that translates. Right. It's like, well, I see you, the problem you have, and I can easily figure that out. Yeah. Well, give me two other vets and we'll sit here, we'll figure the whole thing out and, and probably make you more successful. But That's right. They just need to be given the chance. And I think the the more opportunities we can provide for them, the the better it, it's going to be in, in a number of ways. But, you know, one of my big focuses is stopping the suicide epidemic that's plaguing veterans and first responders, firefighters and police officers. So if we can provide these jobs it's going to, in my opinion, decrease the amount of suicide attempts and, um, you know, completed suicides because people are going to have something uh, worthwhile that gets them out of bed. You know, when you can take care of your family, you feel like, you know, you're a good man, a good husband, a good father. And when you can't, you don't feel that you feel like trash, you're worthless. And so those things can lead down that dark path. And, you know, I I definitely want to talk with Christian and see how we can, we can help our folks. Yeah, you know, meeting guys like you and other guys from the show and just in life, you know, working from the military, not doing a whole lot, and then going into law enforcement and doing a lot more yeah. of what I kind of expected to do in the military. I've It's kind of reshaped the definition I had as a younger kid. It's like what it means to be a man. And you think yeah. of these guys that are in like special operations mm-hmm. on SWAT teams and stuff. And then, and then you get in there and you do the job and then you kind of get and you're like, oh, man, I'm broken and then yeah, it's yeah. like i think the man comes out when it's like how do i still like lead my family lead my peers and pick up my broken pieces and be vulnerable with them yeah. so the guy next to me can be vulnerable so we can fix the brokenness and hopefully you know that's glue it. ourselves back together we got all these cracks but at least we'll be whole that's it you know resilience uh is something and perseverance it's it's kind of it's one of the things they drill in your head in the military like the history, you know, you hear things like we're back to back World War champs, you know, yeah. so you don't want to screw that up. You don't want to be the the generation that goes to the fight a war for America and loses. Right. Yeah. And I know my dad felt that with Vietnam, like these guys felt there was no real ending and the ending that happened was horrible. Mm-hmm. And and then to make it worse for them, uh, for, for the flashbacks they have of seeing the Chinooks fly off the embassy, we did it again in Afghanistan. Right. So it's like, you know, just salt into their wounds. And I know that there were so many angry Vietnam vets when the bombing in Kabul happened on August 26th. And I think it's devastating for us as a country. There's still no one held accountable. Like someone's responsible. Like, and I don't just mean the person who planned the suicide bomb or all that. I mean, we're supposed to be protecting people uh, as leaders, right? Because you want to protect your folks and don't put them in position. Like sometimes you have to go into a position where you're going to be vulnerable. If you're clearing buildings, you're going to kick down that door and it could be booby trapped. There could be a guy on the other side with an AK or an RPG. You have no idea what's on there. And that's part of that adrenaline and the stuff that, you know, excites you about the job and also what reminds you that you're human. And, you know, we're usually the softest thing in a room as much as we, we hate to admit that the metal, the wood, the, you know, 
those things will rip right through us. And it's uh, those situations and those experiences that really build our character and show us that it's okay to be afraid, but courage is, you know, being afraid and doing it anyways. And that's kind of why I think I've been, or we have been so successful at Warfighter Overwatch, our nonprofit, because first off, I've, I've been through the suicide stuff. I've um, not only buried my brothers, but I, you know, had a suicide attempt. I felt like I was never going to get off this cycle. Um, and the truth was, I just wasn't doing the work that I needed to, to grow from the experiences. I was, I had excuse after excuse. But once I, just like you said, when I finally kind of, you know, had to hit rock bottom, well, it's a great place to build a foundation. So yeah. uh, it was, you know, how am I, I could curl up into a ball, wait till I'm dead, which is going to be a while. Uh, don't let the gray hair fool you. I'm not that old. <laughs> or I can do something, you know, and it was essentially making one good choice after another and putting one foot in front of the other. And, you know, I've talked about this before, but if there was one, you know, one thing I could say to my younger self, like advice that I would give to little Danny would be stay the course. Like if you're going to choose to do something, you stick with it and don't give up because, you know, it's like, uh, nobody wants to be a quitter, uh, or a failure. Right. And you're none of those things unless you give up. Right. If you give up, you're both, you're a quitter and you're a failure. If, if you haven't accomplished your goal yet, you're still trying. We haven't quit and you haven't failed. Like maybe you found a bunch of ways not to do it, but you just got to keep Learning. going. Yeah. But if you stop, if you quit and say, this is too, I'm not going to do it. Well, you're a quitter and you're a failure. You're never going to meet the, you know, the goal. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my, up until my injury, I'm still kind of working through my position being as a, a sheriff's deputy. I actually yeah. worked in, it was the only guy doing the mental health stuff. And I didn't think that that was a spot I wanted. And I yeah, talked yeah. to a few guys and I talked to the guy who had it, who was a veteran bef uh, before me who had the spot. And mm -hmm. then I went and interviewed and, and was ultimately chosen for it. Saw a lot of impact I could have. Not only, I mean, not only did it, I've seen the impact that I, I could, I found in other veterans that served way before me and mm -hmm. have been dealing with stuff for years. Yeah. yeah. Um, opened my eyes to mental health being, like heavily present outside of the military where I was kind of like, how do you have PTSD if you haven't faced some of the stuff that these guys in, in fire law enforcement, like any first responder, especially the military's veteran guys have seen, how are you going to tell me you have PTSD and then kind of learning about it and see my impact, which has kind of shaped how I handled the role, mm -hmm. which I started to really like, but you you've done so much more than me just going out responding to a call and talking to people and i wanted to know if there was a specific incident um that kind of led you to to do warfighter overwatch i don't know yeah and, and going online if you can go, you can go to warfighteroverwatch.com and, and read about what you guys are doing kind of sounds like maybe it was more your wife that had the first step or, or you, I don't know where that or if is at the same moment. So Adam Smith was one of my snipers and I had talked to him one day and he, he asked me kind of what I've been up to and you know, what's going on. And he was someone I was fairly close with, uh, while we were active duty. And he said, you need to write a book. And I said, you know, I started, I started writing this book, um, the Solder City Boys. And he said, uh, will you send me what you have? And I said, I haven't shared 
this with anyone. And it's been very hard to write because there's a lot of crap in there. I mean, it's tough. And and I, you know, picking and choosing kind of what parts we're going to tell because it was a year long of, of just, to be honest with you, crap. So I sent him the the first part uh, that I had written and was somewhat edited and I sent it to him. And um, I think he was very excited, but three days later he hung himself and I was completely torn. Um, so I flew to Dayton, Ohio and we buried him, uh, you know, and giving his mother a flag and, you know, telling her on behalf of a grateful nation when I didn't feel it was very tough for me. I felt like I failed him. I felt like, like my guys who got hurt, I felt like I failed them on the battlefield when they got hurt and I felt like I failed them back here when they committed suicide. But after burying him and he had been, I don't know, number four or five from our unit at the time, I said, I'm not doing this anymore. Let's, there's not gonna be a perfect time. Everyone just come to my house. And I sort of invited my entire battalion to my house and told my wife, I don't know how many people are gonna show up or what's gonna happen, but some people are gonna come. And uh, they did, they came to Folsom. The community was absolutely just welcomed them with open arms. There were several, the most time we kept them uh, pretty isolated because I was terrified to let them loose on the town after not seeing each other for a while. Um, and a couple of them did try to- Shut down Sutter Street? Yeah. I like my neighbor is a, he's a lawyer. So I, I wrote him, well, I wrote all my neighbors and sent them each a bottle of wine and said, Hey, I'm having some friends over and I hope they're going to be chill, but I don't know. Yeah. Like if I told you what happened in the barracks back into that, like you'd understand. We're just older with maybe more money. That's it. That's exactly what was happening was these guys had more money. Now, some of them tried to talk me to, Hey, let's go here. Let's go to the bar. Let's go to the strip club. Let's see. I said, no. And they offered me money. And I said, nope. Uh, so I told my neighbor, Dave, who's a lawyer, I said, hey, I'm putting you on retainer in case we need to get any of these guys out. He just laughed. I sent everybody a bottle of wine, told them we we're going to make some noise, but I tried to keep it down. They were absolutely phenomenal, though, and the healing that got to happen. So I'll say this. Adam's squad leader from um, that trip, to from that deployment, uh, he did the initial invasion as well. He got a silver star with a V device. Um, him and one of his guys were pinned down in a palm grove kind of in this little ditch and they had to wait for people that they got separated and had to wait for people to come get them and it was over i think an, over an hour and a half and they killed a bunch of enemies he started shooting so his soldier was shot and he had drug him down into the little ravine there and he ended up shooting the majority of he shot all of his ammo and the majority of his soldiers ammo as well trying to keep them alive and he did they both survived he never lost a, a soldier in combat i think four year-long deployments um but Adam was his, one of his guys and they were very close, like his little brother. And so he wanted to isolate so much that when he got out of the military, he moved to the Bavarian mountains in Germany. So he didn't have to speak the same language as anyone. He turned, you know, he figured out that that wasn't a, a very good recipe. If you needed help with anything, you didn't know how to communicate. So it didn't matter if it was bread or, you know, fixing a flat tire, he was kind of screwed. Uh, he, he came back um, for that reunion that we had and it was magical. There's a lot of healing, a lot of, you know, the, the conversations, they talk about all the fun stuff. It can go to, you know, some of the bad days, but it was kind of more like when someone finally says, you know, I haven't been feeling good about this day or this incident or this, you know, IED that went off or whatever. I feel guilty. And then everyone says, you know, like you didn't plant that bomb. You didn't try to kill these guys. It wasn't your fault. And 
we give them grace, right? But we don't give it to ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that reunion was a catalyst because what happened was my wife really saw healing and I was like, I gotta hang out with my buddies. And she said, this is something special. What happened there was not ordinary. It's not something that people are doing where we have reunions for people who've went through this trauma together. So what that led to was, um, we started Warfighter Overwatch and our Keystone program is called our Squad Recons. Instead of reconnaissance, it's reconnection. So um, we have these guys who deployed, went through you know traumatic events in war together and then have experienced um, suicide problems when they've returned. And so we take them hiking, we take them surfing, we do some sort of outdoor activity where they're gonna breathe hard and they kick their ass for a little bit. And then when they start breathing hard, we're going to unpack some of that trauma that they went through, not with complete strangers, not with some, you know, uh, psychologist in a room where you feel kind of weird about it with the people you went through that trauma with. Yeah. And we're going to unpack some of that. And then even better is we're going to continue to bring them back together a few, like six months later with their spouses. We're going to build out their support system and we are going to have clinicians. We are going to have, um, you know, some folks who can explain what happens to their mind and their body and moral injury and the things that they're really carrying and say, you know, when you start talking about this stuff and you just see the head nods and like the check marks, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I've been short tempered, right? I get frustrated easily. I feel overwhelmed. I have anxiety. I get headaches, things that never happened before. And now they're kind of experiencing this stuff. And so when they have, um, uh, someone who has, a uh, you know, education in, in these specific areas, it just, it helps the spouse understand better. It helps the veteran um, feel a little better about, you know, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person who's gone through this and dealing with this. And then we remind them that, you know, I didn't go to war alone. I didn't get in gunfights alone. I went with my team. So I don't fight my battles back here alone. I fight with my team. And if I don't have a team, I get one. Yeah. And that's what we do. We help us. We know the number one deterrent for suicide's connection. So we facilitate that connection. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I got recently reconnected with a bunch of guys that I used to work with, like my buddy Donnie Lewis, Carl Kurtz, Jared Sullivan. Yeah. Uh, it sucked because it was all because, like, my best friend through everything committed suicide. Mm -hmm. uh, not that long ago. It was Gabriel Eisler. And Sorry. Yeah. It, uh, he was a guy that, like, do, um, from day one, like, off the bus, in, in hitting basic training in, in the Air Force and like my civilian clothes. He was uh, like in five lines over from me. Yeah. And then he got put into my sister flight. So I was a leader in my barracks. He was the main leader in his, so our paths crossed all the time. I yeah. went to tech school with him. My whole four years in, like he was either my roommate or he lived <laughs> down the street. Yeah. Like in Thanksgivings and stuff. And so yeah. when he uh, took his life, it was like, the same thing as kind of your story. We talked days before, yep. shared f pictures of our families, like what he was doing because he just got out of the military. Yeah. Um, talked about like the good stuff, the good old stories. Yeah. And, you know, they took his life. And then that kind of getting that phone call was the hardest thing. Yeah. Um, I've had a few friends, not not from the military, but just from law enforcement careers take their lives. And uh, dude, it sucks. Yeah. That phone call sucked. The fact that that reignited, like talking to some people, it sucked that that happened. Yeah. Um, but it's like one of those things where I'm like, man, I want to keep in touch with those guys. Yeah. And so it's, it it, it kind of didn't 
get all the way to the point where I could invite them all to my house. Yeah. But I uh, flew out and uh, got to see the celebration of life. And, and one of my other close friends that was close with Gabe was out there. So and we were in the same squadron through everything. Yeah. So it's nice seeing him and the other guys. It's like, hey, let's start like monthly phone calls, yeah. weekly like chats. Yeah. Uh, it, just that alone, because I didn't get deployed in anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I earned a top secret clearance and yeah. I got sent stateside missions, but I, I wasn't in any gunfights. But I watched a lot of my friends, even myself, get pulled into like shit storms yeah. of leadership issues where they would just bombard you with crap. And yeah. just, I mean, I was already at a base where I didn't want to be. I yeah. felt like I had all this training and I didn't, and I watched half of my tech school go to. Um, a squadron where they were getting jump certified, sniper certified, yeah. uh, all this like cool schools. And then they're being deployed to do all this stuff. I was like, that's what I enlisted for. Yeah. And I'm stuck here and I'm not doing any of that. And it was hard for me to swallow, hard for my friends to swallow. Yeah. And then we get our leadership just totally, some of them bombarding us. Like, and they pick some guys like my buddy Gabe got picked a lot and he was just shit on. You get done. You're yeah. like, these people don't care about me. And, that's not what you want to feel when, and I don't, I don't want to compare it to anywhere else, but when you're in the military and you're part of the, like you're part of something very special. And even if you're not a Green Beret or Navy SEAL or Ranger, like you feel that you're an elite person. You have yeah. this training now and you're supposed to use that training for, you know, real world missions. I know that there are, so many people who joined the military and found that leadership was toxic. They didn't care about the, their subordinates and they only cared about getting promoted and stepping on the heads of the people who could get them there. Unfortunately, we find it a lot. And we think, I know everyone wants to think that people who wear the uniform, who don a uniform are just the greatest, you know, piece of America. And I wish that was true, but it's not. No. And I know cause half the time I wasn't that great of a person when I was in uniform, right? People like in the beginning, people say, you know, thank you for your service. And like, you wouldn't say that if you knew what I did with your tax dollars. Yeah. Um, but then when I think about what Congress does with my tax dollars, no, nah, I was way better than that. I just drank, you know, and underage in the beginning. Yeah. So I, there was this, the, the people that you go through this suffering with this mutual suffering though, these bonds that you build, or even if it's just people that you go through, um, you know, time with and spend, uh, you know, your days with these people and growing, becoming, you know, real adults, it's, it's, they become a part of you. And, uh, that's hard. I think that's one of the hardest things to let go is when I got out of the military is like all these people who were my family, well, now they're in New York or Texas or Florida and yeah, everywhere, all over. And I didn't feel like I had them. And even more so, I didn't want to go tell them if I wasn't feeling good, right? Like, oh, I feel weak. I'm not feeling, you know, so hot about whatever. And I was like, I don't want to go be Debbie Downer to these dudes. Yeah. Which is weird because you just left a place where you went through being in the suck with all of them. Yep. You could all want to, there's always that guy. Yeah. It was found a way to put a smile on everybody's face and yeah. you can sit and joke with the dude next to you. And, and then it was like, once you got sprinted, I was like, nah, I don't make the call. Yeah. Even though they're probably in the suck too at the moment. But people don't realize, I think too, is that the people who like these, you know, we have 22 a day, 8,000, like the, the numbers get pretty gross, but when we talk about the people who feel overwhelmed, who, uh, you know, feel suicide is the only way out, they usually have been through an immense amount of crap and they're carrying this stuff and they don't know how to put it down. 
you know, we're just talking like about Austin Ramsey, who was, you know, he was an army ranger. He was, I mean, you're a badass. You, they don't just let anyone earn that title. You, you have to earn it. They don't give it away. And to go through everything he went through as a soldier to come home and he, he struggled a little bit. He didn't know what he wanted to do or, you know, what he's going to do with his life. But his dad's a, you know, a cop. So he's like, yeah. I'm going to be a law enforcement officer. And he was good at it and people liked him. And I loved him. He was carrying around this crap and he didn't want to tell anyone. He didn't want to tell his dad. He didn't want to tell his brothers, sisters, mom, his folks that he served with. And he ended up taking his own life. And for me, like seeing the pain in his mom and dad's eyes, his, you know, his siblings, you, you know, like he was the oldest. That was, that was their hero. That was, you know, big bro wasn't just big bro. Big bro was a badass. And yeah. You know, if ever I had an issue or someone who was giving me problems, well, I just tell Big Bro and it's not an issue or a problem anymore. Yeah, he is a badass cop. That's like, right. He was one of his training officers. Yeah. And we went through some shitty stuff together and, you know, yeah. my car was always in open talking. Yeah. It sucked. You know, I almost crashed when I got the call that. Yeah. You know, he took his life. I, I wear him on my wrist almost every day. So. Those are devastating calls. Yeah. Because you don't, they're so unexpected. You're like, wait, not, not him. How, how did we get to that? Yeah. That's really why, because that's how I felt about Adam Smith. And, you know, his family knows that he he is my reason for doing this, right? It's for my family because, one, I needed to have purpose. And it's for, you know, my brothers and for Adam who um, I felt like I failed. But there's other other guys that I know that I still have the opportunity that they're not only worth saving, but it, I'm capable of helping them save themselves. And they have to do the work, you know, but they don't have to do it alone. Yeah. And I think that's why we've been super successful. I, I own a tattoo shop and a t-shirt printing company. A portion of every tattoo that gets done at Kinetic Inc. goes to help fund Warfighter Overwatch. I don't take a paycheck from Kinetic Inc. Uh, my wife probably would like it if I did, but it goes to fund Warfighter Overwatch because at the end of the day, me taking, the, like, I'll give you an example. These guys who were deployed, I think in 2004, 2005, they were in the 101st Airborne Division. Um, they deployed together. They had a couple guys they killed. One of their guys got burned real bad. He's burned all over his body. He doesn't like flying. He didn't want to come to the little reunion that we were having for the squad recon. And I talked to my buddy, Dan, and I said, hey, I'm a little busy right now. Will you call this guy and talk to him? And he did. And he said, hey, listen, um, Trujillo, the guys would really love it if you if you came. He's like, I don't like flying, I get sick. And he's like, I hear you. But maybe if it's not just for you, like uh, it's for them too. You know, they could use seeing you and knowing that you're okay. Yeah. Uh, even if you're, you know, obviously you burn, you got physical scars and all that. He's like, yeah, they know I'm still prettier than them. You know, he's hilarious. He was that guy who could make them laugh anytime. And he was the one who got hurt. So that really hurt them. Yeah. So when we... What we did was we flew to Georgia and we went and they were part of Curhee, uh, which is yeah, if you've seen the one band. of the photos you have on the website. Yes, guys, yeah. So the Band of Brothers, right? The series or whatever. It was these guys who were airborne who trained in um, Tacoa, Georgia, and they mm-hmm. went and ran three miles up, three miles down yep. up Mount Curhee. So we did it. We took them up there and we went three up and three down. That's and awesome. that's so. He was, so this guy who's had his skin burned and stretched, it's had, I don't know how many surgeries, he's the one calling them names, telling them to push themselves up this mountain. 
And by the way, the closer you get to the top, it is steep. In the beginning, it's not that bad. Towards the end, it is just switchbacks that are just yeah. up. Like, and he's like, come on, let's go, ladies. You know, and he's and I'm like, this is why we're doing this. From the moment they got together at the airport, you could always a couple things happen. One, they were surprised that he was there because they didn't know he was coming. And they're, oh, what's up, brother? And the hugs and the homoeroticism starts right away. They're grabbing each other's butts. They're talking about, hey, we're going to, there's only one bed. We got to share. And, you know, if there's two, we got to share anyways. Uh, you know, and it was like, they were, they were so comfortable with these people more than they are with anyone else. And that is the magic that happens at these squad recons. It happens right away. It's like they never left each other in 15 years, 12 years, six years, doesn't matter. And so getting to see that, it fills my bucket every oh, time. Yeah. And then when they go home, it's like, hey, listen, I know that, you know, a lot of places will bring you guys like to come do something, even if it's not with the people you deployed with. And then they expect you to just go home and like, you're going to be okay. I don't believe that. And I know that, you know, first off, continuity and, you know, consistency is what's going to help us be successful. So in six months, you're coming back and you're going to bring your spouses or your significant other caretaker and they're going to come and we're going to do some team building stuff. We're going to do some communication work with professionals and we're going to, you know, allow you guys to not be with the kids, to be with each other. Remember, like, you know, why you're in this relationship and how we can make it better. Um my marriage is strong and it wasn't always that way. I told my wife that she needed to run as fast as she could away from me, that I was broken and I was not a good person. And I was, you know, you name it, terrible things. That's not what she saw. And that's not really who I was, but it's who I thought of as, you know, who I thought of myself as. And, and that was terrible that I had gotten to a place where I really just thought I was a piece of shit. And, uh, my wife's love allowed me to spread that love to these other guys. And they joke, they call me a tree hugging hippie and all this stuff from California. I get it all. Of course. Right? Yeah, of course. Totally get it. But they don't forget like the savage I was when, you know, like, damn, I wish they wouldn't have gave that dude sergeant stripes. Like, yeah, too late, <laughs> sucker. Uh, beat your face, you know, do push-ups. <laughs> so all all these things that I've learned and and I went to school, I got my degree in marriage and family therapy. I wanna, you know, um, I wanna do these things so I could help them save their marriage, help them save their career, and you know, not take their own life. And when I was going through this, first off, I learned that I had a whole lot of early childhood trauma that I had not dealt with, and that was that was hard. Uh just rocking around with that all day. Like, yeah. How did that come from? Yep. And and I didn't realize like that. First, I didn't realize that like my guys kind of looked up to me like that. I was just felt like I was one of them, but I was a leader. I was put in leadership positions and I tried to do right by them, you know, at every turn um, because they're the ones who are out on the ground with me. It's not the CEO. It's not the first sergeant. It's not any of these, you know, the senior leaders. It's us out there and we're going to have to take care of each other. So having these guys now like see what I'm doing and so not just support that, but be a part of it. It makes me feel uh, proud again, I think. And, and it gives other guys an opportunity. Like I got a buddy in Texas and he knows we're sending this first responder down to uh, first responder wellness down in Huntington beach. And he needed, like it, it costs money to stay down there. And my buddy said, Hey, uh, I have some points. I want to give you guys a hundred thousand points for hotel. This is, this is a guy who had, uh, an explosively formed penetrator, an EFP. It's a really terrible, cool bomb that uh, they used to use to kill us. 
and it hit his right behind him on the back door of the Humvee, bounced off his back and hit, it was a hatch Humvee. It ripped that hatch, which I think is like uh, 350 pounds. I don't remember for sure. And it threw it uh, almost a half a mile down the road. They know because they went and recovered it. He thought, because he had traumatic brain injury when this explosion went off, he was apologizing to a sergeant who had shrapnel on his face, his neck, bleeding, everybody's trying, they're all disoriented. The other guys are trying to drag him into the Humvees and get him out of there. And he keeps apologizing. And his sergeant's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I was smoking my cigarette and I dropped it in the gas tank. He's like, I just want to be clear right now, Evans, we have to go. You think you were smoking and blew us up? You think that's what happened? He's like, get him out of here. And he was like, he just, he was so disoriented. He didn't realize like he didn't do that. A bomb went off and it almost killed him, you know? And uh, he, he's not out here in California. And we do this obviously all over the country, but he's not here to be able to help me on a daily basis yeah. or set up and take down at events but he can donate something and still feel like he's a part of this. And that helped him feel good, you know? Good. It, these little things, like we can all make, we all have the same 24 hours to make the world a better place. So. Yeah. But yeah. I want to dive more into Warfighter. Oh, yeah. Course, but before we do, just because you can bring me a glass, just an empty glass. Any kind of glass. Any glass, just any of Uh No, make it one of these whiskey ones that we have. This is what it's really like in the studio. I like it. Dude, I just, before we go into what you're doing at Warfighter Overwatch um, and kind of like seeing your vision, I saw you guys won like 2022 nonprofit, nonprofit of the, of the year, year for California. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to pour my favorite on the table for our fallen brothers and sisters yep. and just leave it here while we talk about it. Perfect. I think you're doing a lot of stuff. Um, and I don't want to leave it short because these, man, why would we probably take a, a nice drink and enjoy it with us? So just as we go, man. I just want that on the table so everybody knows that. That's awesome. We got one for them, too. Yep. And uh, we're about to switch whiskeys, too. So before you get into Warfighter, I'm going to let you pick anything on the table. I was telling you about that Port Charlotte. Yeah, I think we got to do this one. Um, got her some, some smoky. Man, this engine hits pretty hard. Yeah, 120, you said, right? That's a, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it warms your soul. Just a little bit. Definitely warm mine right there. Mm -hmm. This is going to be uh, very different. It's really smoky, so I hope you like the smoke. And I'll leave it right here. If you want more, just pour a little more as we You got it. Thank you. Try whatever you want. So you guys won California's nonprofit for the year 2022, and I feel like that's not something to overlook. I don't know how hard it is to, to be given that, but hearing, you know, where you came from, why you started this, and, and what you've done just – here in California and yeah. more so moving out and probably maybe have done more moving out nationwide is pretty impactful. And I think you've impacted a lot more lives than maybe you even know and, and maybe save more lives than you even know. And so I think that's really yeah. cool. And I'd like to hear more of the vision of Warfighter and, and what you guys are doing. Yeah. What, what people can do if they sign up with Warfighter. So we got nonprofit of the year last year and there's several thousand nonprofits in California. To be selected is pretty big deal. We've only been doing this for like two years, which is unreal to be honest with you. But the formula works. We know it's um, we know it works, and and it's not like we haven't been kind of in this uh, realm for a while. My wife worked at a couple different nonprofits that were uh, uh, veteran service organizations. 
I've spoke for several of them, telling them, you know, parts of my story and things like that. Um, at the end of the day, it was always in the hopes of if I share my story, if I talk about, if I'm vulnerable, if I'll talk about the parts that are, that are hard, that are excruciating. And I don't have to necessarily talk about blood and guts and all this other stuff, but talk about the fact that sacrifices were made and who I went to war as is not who I came home as. So Warfighter has just kind of grown into this just amazing uh, organization that gets so much support from our community. It, the mission, the goal at the end of the day is to curb suicide for veterans, first responders, and we also help their families, right? And it comes, we never know what request or ask we're gonna get, whether it's uh, an officer involved shooting, a firefighter who, you know, try to save a kid from drowning, but the kid passed away. And, you know, every time they see their kid at home swimming in the pool, they see that same thing, right? Um, just people who carry this stuff around every day. But the truth is that from I'm, I'm well aware that we outsource 100% of our trauma. Whenever something, your house on fire, you don't call the dentist or the plumber, right? Uh, someone's carrying a gun or machete down the road. Again, you're not calling your accountant or, you know, the uh, barista. So... Why are we okay with allowing our police officers, firefighters to come to these horrific calls, right? Where, you know, someone's horrifically injured. And, and this is what I've learned. First responders, they can compartmentalize a majority of the stuff, especially when it comes to adults. Once you start seeing trauma, you kind of just start packing it away because it happens often. Most people, the general, you know, the average person in society goes through maybe four traumatic incidents in their life. You're talking car accidents, someone dies of cancer, uh, something to that extent. And I don't want to get lying because sometimes I forget stuff, but if I'm not mistaken, it's over 800 for a first responder. So the difference is not just a little dramatic, it's extraordinary. Oh yeah. I mean, I can speak for myself. I've been Last four years as military police, yeah. in the security force in the Air Force, yep. and then over six years uh, out here on the streets in California. Yeah. And like when my father in law, who I'm close with, yep. got diagnosed with cancer, and everybody got sad. And I was like, kids, the thing people suffer with, like, let's figure out how we're going to beat it. Like, yeah. I was already to the next step. Right. There was no well, solutions. Yeah. There was no sitting there to like, okay, that just hit me. Let me, like, how does it feel? It was just like, cool, the information's in and received. Now it's time to let's solve the problem. Yep. And that like, and I look around at my wife's in, in tears. My mother-in-law's in tears. My kids are like to the ages where they're starting to understand what this is, especially yeah. my eight-year-old. Yeah. And I was, I like checked myself because I was like, whoa, this is, I'm not having the normal reaction right no, now. You were in drive and they yeah. were in neutral. This is, yeah. this is the reaction that everybody normal has. I'm used to seeing this all the time. Like right. I'm the one, I'm the odd man out. I'm the elephant in the room. Yeah. Um, and, I, and that like kind of woke me up a little bit to like, well, I'm, I got a little bit of issues maybe. At least you were self-aware, right? Yeah. Cause it's kind of shocking too, when, when you realize, and I, I think I had been through that quite a bit because other people would say, you know, so-and-so died, even my family members, so-and-so passed away. And I was somewhat callous to that. <clears throat> I'd had a lot of people die, uh, especially when I was a young adult. 
It's not normal to bury your friends when you're 21 years old or 22. It's just not something that happens often. And for me, it was happening a lot. So, you know, you have these memorial services over overseas and then that's the end of it. And you got to come back. And the first thing I do, I come back is drink because I don't want to talk about it. And that seems like uh, an easier way to cope. And it wasn't because it hindered my communication, which hindered my connection, which you know, led me down the path of hopelessness and helplessness. So Warfighter Overwatch, man, we're, we're hope dealers, right? So uh, one of the biggest things that uh, we do outside of the squad recons is we started the Atlas Project. This one's gonna be tough, man. So Atlas was my service dog for several years. He's a 90 pound pit bull and he just passed away a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and it was tough, man. Oh, hey man, let's take a- Yeah. Yep. A little bit of that. To Atlas. Oh, new favorite? Smoking. <laughs> wow. Taste that uh, ham right on the grill? Yeah. Right on that charcoal grill? Right or right over an open fire? It's like I, I just left Kings. Kings, me, myself, spoke so good. Hit your lips. Uh, I forgot what we were talking about. Uh, oh, Atlas. Atlas, going oh. to the Atlas. So... Alice was my service dog. Several years, this guy went everywhere with me. When I, I so I have uh, traumatic brain injury, I went and did hyperbaric oxygen therapy in uh, North Carolina. So I'm there for an entire month. My whole family goes with me. We stay in an apartment. Well, he he flew with me. He flew at my feet on the airplane, right? And nobody even nobody even knew he was on the plane until we were getting off. They're like, "Was that was that dog here the whole time?" I was like, "No, I just pulled him out of my yes, yes, he was." He would just, he was a once in a lifetime kind of dog. So I credit my wife with saving my life, right? And giving, getting me to a place where I didn't feel suicide was my only option. Atlas gave me my quality of life back. He allowed me to go to music events. He allowed me to go to sporting events where there was crowds of people. We had noticed like I was not enjoying my kids Christmas sing-alongs at the school. I'm sweating. I'm like, what's that guy doing? Where's he going? You know, who's this? Why are they moving? I'm hypervigilant about everything else. And I'm paying attention to everyone except my kid doing what they're doing, you know? And my wife, one day, she, I was talking to her and I'm sure I was being stern or what I thought was just being direct. And she said, you know, we're not your soldiers. Don't talk to us like that. And I'm stunned. Like, Wake up call. Yeah, is that, is that what I was doing? And I, I just didn't realize like this was affecting every day of my life in some way, shape or form. And it started to creep into different facets, like every facet. My work relationships weren't good because I was short with people and had a quick temper, you know, and the same thing was happening at home. I, you know, was very rigid and uh, I wasn't, I wasn't good at effective communication. So Atlas allowed me to, his name is Atlas because, uh, I had to give him the weight of my world sometimes and to carry it, right? Man, it's an awesome name. He was he was an awesome dog. I cannot tell you like how special that dog was and and really get the point across. But the Atlas Project now, and my wife made me cry when she said that's what we're calling it, is um, one of our ways of, of giving back with Warfighter Overwatch. So we're providing, well, we don't provide the dogs. Dogs come through uh, two different organizations. They are completely trained uh at working dogs so they're therapy dogs service dogs who are going to go to we have a 
Um, the first couple went to SAC fire department. And, you know, so for example, those guys had, we had a mass shooting downtown uh, mm -hmm. last year. So 54 firefighters from SAC fire responded to that. Within 72 hours, eight of them came forward and said they had uh, symptoms of PTSD. And we have no idea how many over the next few years are gonna come forward and say, hey, I'm, that night really screwed me up. Because it wasn't just that they went to go triage these people who had been through a mass shooting. There were gangbangers down there saying, if you don't come help my homie, I'm gonna kill you. And so now you're giving them trauma and anxiety and stress about them trying to save people. And they're like, no, forget this person, come save my friend. And I just- you with exactly and and then like you're supposed to go you know the way it's set up right now is most of the time they just want you to go talk to some stranger some clinician and tell them how you feel right talk to them about your feelings but science tells us that uh you know that does work but they're usually set they're separated by months or you know weeks between your 50 minute uh session with them but that dog can do the same thing in a few minutes and you don't have to sit there and tell that dog a thing that dog knows, uh, they feel it. And the, the the studies have shown that it reduces cortisol, reduces stress, reduces uh, the anxiety and things that you're feeling and can bring you back to a place of happiness, uh, enlightenment, and joy. So for us, the Atlas Project is huge. We're, we are gonna start uh, the same type of deal for the Metro. We're hoping we're gonna do it here for the Sheriff's Department. Essentially, what we want to do is be a model for the country. We want folks to know that there's different alternative ways to uh, help our community service members, like the folks who are first responders and our veterans. And we can all, you know, take part in that. Like, it's easy. If you don't, if you don't want to donate money or whatever, that's fine. But you can spend time with a veteran and first responder in your community and, and be an ear for them. They don't always want to talk to strangers, but you build that rapport and that relationship and they will open up to you. And it may not be like the gory details of that stuff, but they can just say, you know, this job isn't easy and it's taken a part of me. You know, I don't see the world as uh, this through rose colored glasses anymore, you know, because it's not. And, you know, I don't, we don't want to protect our kids and, and kind of hide them from some of the bad stuff in the world, but eventually they're going to see that stuff. And if we don't prepare our kids for that, they're going to become adults who, who need help yeah. and all that stuff. So I think most of these veterans would rather not have somebody come over and talk about, Hey, like what they think of the glory days. Cause it's yeah. not like, you know, what you did in high school football or college <laughs> to kill anyone. Yeah. They <laughs> want to know that. And it's like, dude, if you just came over and ask him like, how are you feeling today? Yeah. Like, how's that? How's what you did impacted your life? I think they'd be more receptive of like, well, I wasn't expecting that question, but more wanting to answer that question than yeah. let me tell you a story about one of the hardest decisions I had to make in a split second. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, that's a question that every veteran I, I know that's been in combat, I don't even ask. So yeah. Pff, I don't want to make you sit here and make you relive yeah. that. It definitely sounds like though Warfighter Overwatch is a place where if if guys are going to come, kind of pack, like, don't it's not just come, like, definitely come for the fun and the enjoyment of, of the camaraderie, but prepare for a different battle. It's work. Yeah. It is work. You know, so the Alice Project, like, the the city in the beginning, they didn't find uh, it worthwhile to pay for the dogs. And I said, so I, just to be clear, we're going to have a firefighter be the handler for this dog. They're going to take the dog home every day and bring the dog to work. They're going to feed the dog. They're going to take the dog to the 
to the vet, whatever it is a dog needs, and they're the ones who are going to pay the bills, even though the dog is working for the city. No, there's no way we're going to let that happen. So we said, we'll, we'll pay for the dog for as long as they work for the city, whatever that looks like. And the short answer is around $3,500 a year. Right. Uh, and to me, that's not a, a huge ask, uh, especially when we have so many people who live here and people who love dogs, it's not that hard to, to get this funded in my opinion, but the impact that it has is, I, I can't even begin to explain, but I will say this, the, so the deputy chief for fire, Mike Taylor, he has one of the dogs, Emily, and Emily's an excellent dog, very well trained. And he believes in this program uh, and Warfighter Overwatch, but he was in his office one day, he had taken Emily out to the bathroom and she started scratching her dog. This is a service that they don't scratch at the door, right? Mm -hmm. And if they go over there and sit by the doors because they got to go to the bathroom, so yeah. that's not what she was doing. She scratched the door and he's like, mm, she doesn't do that. That's weird. So he he's like, I just took her out. This is, you know, peculiar. So he opens the door and she bolts out. Again, something that service, the trained yeah. dogs don't do. The secretary who was working outside of his office uh, in her little cubicle was crying. He didn't know. He didn't know anything about that. And Emily went over there and put her head on that lady's lap and she started petting her and she started crying bawling even more the ugly cry and her dog had died the night before oh. and so emily felt that from the other room Jeez. and went out there so the chief wrote us and said i, I get it I, I get it i hadn't he hadn't seen it work right in front of his eyes yeah. like it's supposed to but when it did he knew i mean can you just imagine i mean you you kind of rolled out a statistic of maybe four yeah. In a lifetime or a year, if you what it was. For, in a lifetime. In a lifetime for a yeah. everyday person. Yeah. And in 800 for a first responder, could you imagine rolling that dog out for the person that maybe called and was like, like I had a call that I rolled up to because uh, a citizen saw a, a house fire just take off. Mm. So she knew like, okay, I'm going to wherever her destination was. She decided to be late. Yeah. She turned down the street and ran up to the door and just opened the front door because nobody came fast enough yeah, and pulled yeah. the, the elderly couple out saying, your house is on fire. Let me get you out. I guarantee you a dog would have been monumental in that moment. Just like, Huge. I don't know what she's, she's thinking. Yeah. I'm in cop mode. Yeah. Okay, we got to take statements. Like, let's make sure these guys are good. Let's make sure fires get everything that they need. And I'm kind of, you know, making sure we're blocking roads off, getting yeah. trucks in, trucks out, uh, evacuating houses with deputies and everything. And I don't have time to sit and stop. But if somebody has uh, on my shift or on the fire shift has a service dog, yeah, it's like, hey, can you just take the dog down to her? She's yeah, she's the one that saw everything. Yep. You're right there. I'm guaranteed she doesn't want to talk to a person, but she just she can just sit down on the curb and pet a dog, yep. have a dog put his head in his Even while she cries. Yeah. Yep. So we know that the science shows that this works. So we're gonna we're gonna keep uh essentially the relationship between the different agencies and the two uh providers of the training and the dogs. And it's been beautiful uh, you know, since it started. So we're, we're going to start doing uh, more stuff. We do actually uh, uh, spouses support uh, days for like uh, firefighter and police uh, wives. Mm -hmm. And 
essentially what we do is, you know, I can tell veterans and police officers and firefighters about the cool stuff we do at Warfighter Overwatch. And some will say, awesome, I can't wait to go on a hike or do this or that. Most of them are going to say, yeah, I don't need it. It's for someone else, right? And I I get it. I've listened to this. I've been through it. I was the same person. Um, But when you tell their wives, hey, if Johnny's coming home and he's drinking too much or he's not talking or he's isolating or he's just short answers or he doesn't go out and do things like he was doing before, whether it's fishing or hiking or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, there's definitely some some symptoms or, or uh, things that we see people doing and it's clear indication that they're struggling with something and that they're carrying stuff. They may not even be aware of it, consciously yeah. aware of it. So the spouses are and they're going to be like, hey, Johnny, you need to go get some help and I know you're worried about telling Captain so-and-so but you don't have to tell them anything. They're not going to take your badge in your patrol car. They're not going to kick you off your fire engine. You just go talk to these folks over here at Warfighter Overwatch and they'll square you away. And for me, it's that simple. I want to remove any barriers, any boundaries, any red tape that um, people need for getting help. So, And it's not just the veteran or first responder. If the spouse needs to go to therapy, if their kid needs to go, uh, if they need help with stuff, we help them too. Because, you know, the elite military teams they know like if navy seal on seal team six has a kid who has leukemia that guy is not going on deployment right Mm -hmm. i understand he's a vital part of that team and their mission and all that he's not going on deployment he's going to stay home and he's going to take care of his kid because you don't want some guy in some you know trying to chase down some high value target in some you know, crap hole in Afghanistan. He's worried about his kid and gets shot because yeah. everything they tell you in the military is if you're not doing your job, it's not you who gets killed. Your buddy's going to get killed. It's yeah. your fault. And you're oh, like, yeah. I don't ever want to feel that. I don't ever. So you always are like, I always have to do my job. I always put the team first. Well, we're fighter overwatch allows you to put your team first by putting yourself first, right? So your family's your team. You need to put yourself, give yourself a little grace, work on your own crap. So that way you can go back and again, be that, you know, engaged parent, spouse, and you know, coach a little league team or, yeah. or whatever it is, because we don't do those things when, um, when we're isolating, we want to be separate from, from our community or humanity. Because once you start seeing those bad things, you see someone hurt someone else or, you know, what someone is willing to do to someone else, it, it makes you jaded. And, you know, when you do this for two years, three years, four years, 10 years, 15 years, it gets worse and worse. Yeah. We don't, as a society, we generally don't care how they deal with it. Just when you come to my house, give me the best quality of service you can and then leave and take that crap with you. That's terrible. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely horrible. That's why I showed that video at our Gala War Photo Watch. We showed my father-in-law as a battalion chief in San Andreas, California, and he dragged this guy out of his truck. One person was dead on arrival and this vehicle was completely engulfed. He drug the other person out. It took several minutes. It was very scary. We got dash cam footage from the CHP officer when he pulled up. And when they finally cut the guy's seatbelt and pulled him out, the fuel line within, I think, three seconds. If you go on our Instagram, whatever, you can watch it. It The fuel line burns, and the it's not just the engine compartment anymore. The entire vehicle is engulfed, and they wouldn't have been able to save that guy, but they did. And so we gave him a, what we call our hottie award, hero of the year, right? And it's, you know, two twofold. One, we want to recognize people for the work that they put in. And when you get a field saver, when you do something that goes above and beyond, it should be recognized, and not just by one person or one department, by the entire community. 
So, and the more people that see this, it just reminds them that you can have that same impact in someone else's life. You just have to choose to get in the fray, to get in the fight and, you know, uh, to be the difference, to help someone when they're in their darkest moments, man. Yeah. Dude, I, I, I love that you guys are there to help people in their darkest moments. I love that you're not only there for them, but you're there pushing the family. Yeah. Cause we're, we're all about, I mean, coming from veteran first responders and I, I kind of have a taste in both worlds is yeah. you, you put the team first, but you guys go for the spouses too. Yeah. And I think that's so often it's like, even by like the spouses that are engaged mm. in being an active duty military or, or a veteran or active and first responders forget that their team's also at home. Yeah. And sometimes the team at home is more important than the team at work. You just got to be ready to like switch uniforms real quick. Like, That's hey, it. I got to put on my uniform for work and I got to take yep. off, put on my uniform at home. And I mean, I've been guilty of forgetting that <laughs> and leaving, feeling like making my wife feel like I've left her in the dust. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like how your wife saved your life, my wife has definitely saved my life. And I'm, I'm, I've never been more grateful to be married to the person I'm married. Yeah. Um, yep. And the <laughs> fact that you incorporate them, man, it's just, it, it, it just lets me know that the focus isn't just on, on the individual. It's on like the important people around them. Yeah. And building that up, right. So that they know, you know, I don't always have to be strong. Right. But as, as a, you know, military or uh, police or fire, you, you're supposed to be the epitome of strength. When someone is in their worst moments, they look to you to do the right thing and to, you know, take action and do all this heroic stuff. And sometimes that's what it is. And sometimes it's, you know, doing some, you know, maniacal task that, that has an impact. But my wife, Fawn, she didn't know me when I was in the army. In fact, if you ask her, she knew like a couple of people who had been in, who were in the military or she didn't really know anything about their experience or what it was like. When we got together, I didn't want to tell her what it was like because my experience was uh, not that different than many people, but it was different than, than a lot of folks as well. And the crap that I saw and went through, you can read about it. There's, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot to carry, but at the same time, it was like, if this person is going to allow me to put this stuff down, shouldn't I do it for them and for myself? And once I realized that I didn't have to live my life like I was torturing myself, blaming myself, like the guilt and shame that came with, you know, my guys getting hurt and then committing suicide. It was heavy. It was, it was so heavy, but now the fact that I get to help people, because I thought that all I brought to this world was death and destruction. And I was good at those things and not much else. And the truth is that I'm, I'm good at so much other stuff that that was such a small time in my life. I'm so much like, man, I never thought I would be a business owner, let alone multiple businesses. And they're successful. Um, they're successful because of the values that we have, you know, in our workplace and the environment that we create. So when you come in there, you know that um, it's a special place, whether it's Kinetic Inc. or Kinetic Threads or Warfighter Overwatch, all the things we do are community-based because the stronger our community is, the stronger our families are, the stronger our individuals are. And that makes uh, things better for, for everyone, for the next generation. And I know that our world is pretty crazy right now, whether it's spy balloons from China or <laughs> coronavirus uh, from China or uh, <laughs> war in Ukraine. It doesn't really make any difference, right? We still have, it impacts us here. Our gas yeah. prices go up. 
Uh, they're smuggling eggs at the border. There's things are absolutely bonkers. And I can hear my dad right now. This isn't the America I fought for, right? And I know why my dad got so pissed off at the things he saw after he went to war and what he you know, fought and bled for, right? And, and he got shot in Vietnam and uh, he, had, he had a lot of trouble when he came home. And I know he didn't want me to go through that and I did anyways. Um, and now I don't want my kids to go through that and I don't want future generations to go through that. So the best thing that I can do is number one, prepare them and show them what it looks like when when we have problems, it's not like when I was a kid, it never seemed insurmountable. Whatever it was, it was like, all right, that's our problem. Let's do this. How are we going to figure it out? It was always solution oriented. I still think that way now. And that's why, you know, Warfighter has been uh, not just like a blessing or godsend to me, but um, to my buddies, because they get to, they get to participate and take part in that too. And they're always like, hey, I want to do a let's do a, a like a waterfowl thing. Let's do some some bird hunting or let's go. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. all, you out. name it. Yeah. These guys want to go do, and they're like, hey, can we do, you know, uh, hog hunter? Can we go do whatever? And I'm like, yeah. All right. Actually, let's do this. Let's do some bow hunting, but we're going to have to go traipse out in the woods for a while and hike around. And Love it's not going to be as, right? speaking my language. So that's the stuff that, like, we know that uh, the more exercise you get, they actually said that our, our muscles kind of secrete this thing. The more muscles we have, which I think is awesome, uh, the happier we are. The less uh, depressed, the less um, anxiety and stress that we exhibit. And we usually deal with our problems much better. Uh, so for me, like that's the basis of a lot of our stuff. It's like you said, you're going to come here to get help. But it's not going to be the easiest thing you've ever done. It's not going to be the hardest thing you've ever done either. You know, the hardest thing you've ever done is bury that stuff and let your brain start telling you crap about it. Yeah. That wasn't true. And then believe it. So, you know, with people like you, with, you know, the opportunity to come on your platform and, and tell our story and, you know, how we get to help people. Number one, it just allows more people to get involved so they can volunteer and go on our website and volunteer um, for our events. Or, man, they can point their neighbor in, in our direction when they need help and they're struggling. And the best, like so many people don't even know their neighbors. They don't know their homes. They go to work, Jeez, they come crazy. home. Shut the garage, go inside. Yes. And maybe this is a California thing. So maybe you get a lot of like influx from outside of the state. But some, we'll see. some, but that's, my dad's old. He just turned 75, right? So he was born in, in the late forties. You know, the fifties is when he was a kid and your neighbor whipped your ass when you weren't good. And then they told your dad so he could whip when you got home because you weren't good. And what you learned was, I better be good, right? The teacher whipped your Let's get this ruler out here. Let's see your knuckles and we're going to wrap you on the knuckles if you're not good, right? So that generation raised us and then they said all the nice things about us. You're soft, you guys yeah. are wusses, you're, you know, sissy la-las, all the good stuff that I remember them saying. And I joked, like even about the millennial stuff. I'm like, so a millennial someone who came of age around the time of the new millennial. Well, I turned 18 in 2000. I think I'm the quintessential millennial. How did this happen? I hate math. Uh, listen, I don't know anything about all that because all my friends went to freaking yeah. war, right? They're like, well, maybe not all of them. But I understand because a lot of people don't have ownership in their community. They don't care if it's good or bad or whatever. They just want to go to work, make their money, pay their bills, and they're fine. They don't have an invested interest. Yeah. And that's why, that's what made my dad upset, right? So if people aren't invested in their community, 
have any ownership, how can they possibly make it better, you know? And I don't want my kids growing up like that. I want them to know that they can make a difference. That's everything that we were taught. You can be anything you want to be and, you know, do all this stuff. And now it's like, well, the world's a crappy place. It's always Figure it out. Yeah. No, you got to take action if you want things to change. And you definitely sound like you are. And I want to make sure you get it right. So it's it's warfireoverwatch.com, right? Yeah, .com or .org. Okay, so you got buy on both. And then you can find you on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I'm even on LinkedIn, even though I probably don't really have any business being on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. If you got LinkedIn, let's blow it up. Let's do it. So if you don't know a veteran, or if you know a veteran and you're not one, let's push him towards you guys. Yeah. Uh, if you are a veteran, why don't you work on getting your guys in touch with Warfire Overwatch? No matter where you're at, yeah, uh, you it sounds like you guys will work on making things happen. You did something in Georgia, yeah. You do a lot in California, yeah. Sounds like that's two opposites of the coast, and I'm sure if you can go that far, you'll go anywhere in between. Hundred percent. So why don't we make that happen? If if you know some know somebody, just drop it in their ear. If you're not a veteran, if you are a veteran, call your guys. I'm probably gonna call um, Donnie, Kurd, Sully, and get them into something yeah. with uh, doing with you guys. Uh, thank you so much for coming out, sharing your heart. And, and I, I hope this is an example to everybody who comes to Warfighter Overwatch, whether it's uh, by be- donating or by coming out and doing uh, the surf, the hike, uh, whatever it is yeah. in, in between you guys offer, yeah. that they know that, hey, the dude who is like one of the, the founders, him and his wife, He's sitting here being super vulnerable. I better be ready to be as vulnerable when I show up. Even if you're not, uh, we'll get you there, right? Yeah. It, it's not easy sometimes. These guys are like clams sometimes. It's not easy to pry them open. But I'm good at it. And I don't, don't want to, you know, toot my own horn, but... I think you're good at it because you show it. Yeah. And you know, when you're in the suck... And you talk about hard times, the guy next to you talk about hard times. And when you start talking about good times, you're going to start talking about good times. Yeah. And you've been there. That's it. And we make, like, when you, when you talked, like, earlier, it kind of made me, made me smile a little bit. Because when you, when you said, you know, there's, like, the guy who always, you know, he talks to everyone, he makes everyone, you know, laugh. And I was kind of that guy. I, I talked to everyone. I messed around with everyone. I screwed around with everyone. I even messed around with, like, the SAR major and the crowd. I joked with them. Even if I knew, like, potentially what I said could piss them off. All of a sudden, they laughed, yeah. right? And specifically, you do that a lot of times when things are really crappy, right? Because, man, it could feel... You're thousands of miles away from anything familiar. There's no taco joint around the corner. You can go get some tacos and make you feel better. There's no. You're not going to go get a beer, you know, at the little beer garden. Right? None of that exists. We get, a, we get to show people that those things are everywhere. When you really start looking, you know, you find those things. And uh, we just want to highlight them, man. And we do that through community. Love so, it. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry you went through the hardships. Sorry you went through the Not, pain. But yeah. I'm very grateful what you've kind of come out and done with all that. Yeah. And started the Warfighter Rush. So I appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Thank you too. You've been through a lot, man, and we appreciate you and your service. And I know that, you know, you got a lot of stuff going on, you know, physically, and, and people don't realize how much that physical stuff affects our, our mental, uh, you know. So good on you for continuing to do this and, and shining a light on, on the good stuff, man, because we need more of that. So, cheers, you. brother. Appreciate it. Yeah, buddy.
you're a veteran, we'll let you know my name is Brian. I'm the host of Whiskey Wednesdays and I'm a part of the Gear and Beer Show. If you're feeling down, depressed, anything, if you're not feeling yourself, please reach out to us at gearandbeer1776 at gmail.com. We can connect you with guys like Danny from Warfighter Overwatch and many other agencies out there to help you that aren't veteran affairs associated, but actual people that care about you. We'll get you plugged in. We'll get you people to actually reach out who not only want to help you, but they want to find any way to get you out to meet them in person. So go ahead and reach out to us. So again, I'm Brian. I'd love to talk with you. My email is gearandbeer1776 at gmail.com. Please contact us before you make any drastic decisions.